Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone. Um, this is your uh, first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and just grateful uh, that you're here on this holiday weekend. And uh, truthfully, um, I hope that if you're looking for a home church, uh, we hope that Hill City becomes that place that you can uh, call home. We're in uh, week number four of this series uh, called Devoted. And uh, this series is really about what does it mean to... to to figure out what the difference is between believing in Jesus and actually being devoted to following Jesus. And, uh, and so each week we've been taking a, a look at some different elements of that. Because to be devoted to something is to be loyal to something, be committed to something, have a passion about something. You know, to be devoted is like, man, you're really disciplined uh, about it as well. And so uh, this is not a series that's going to give you like three steps to being better devoted, right? It's not, you'll have some things of that, like I'll, I'll make some practical things happen for you guys. But but really what we want to do is, is have like a more in-depth foundational element to our faith. So often we just look at uh, the surface level things to try and cover something up. Uh, but we want to have a deeper look at some of this stuff. And so like we're in a renovation project right now. And uh, uh, part of the floor was, was sagging. And, and you know, if you're, if you're doing a little renovation, like you wouldn't just put more flooring on, Right. You can just, oh, that looks nicer now that it's now new flooring. It's like, no, no, what do you do? You come up underneath it and establish a stronger foundation. And when you take a look at what happens in our Christian faith, a lot of times we try and just put something over it, right? Uh, rather than dealing kind of the core elements of what's going on in our hearts. And so when you start thinking about this, that maybe even for you personally, you start thinking about your faith in Jesus uh, or your faith at all. And you're just like, man, I just like have these new like little like surface level things that I kind of helps me hide a little bit more than rather than kind of digging into some core elements. And so uh, each week we're trying to look at something different around that. And last week we actually talked a lot about uh, expectations. And um, one of the things that I wrote down last week was this, is that unmet expectation leads to immaturity and conflict in our relationships. And so um, how many guys have had conflict in relationships? Yeah, every single one. Like, it doesn't matter what age you are, right? Um, we, you know, our kids at, you know, 13 years old have conflict with one another. Our, uh, our four-year-old has conflict with our 13-year-old and conflict with us, quite frankly. She's a lot. So, like, there's, um, so there, there, there's, well, but what is it? Well, when you're in conflict with anyone at any point in time, you could simply just say this. Well, what did you expect of me? And they would say, well, I expected you would do whatever that is. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that. And guess what? You just solved your conflict. But what do we do? We don't, first, we don't want to take the time to understand the other person's expectations. And then even if we do like, start to understand them, we still want to do our own thing. And so, so we start seeing like, oh, maybe I'm actually doing this with God too. Maybe I'm doing this with my faith. Like, we're like, we begin to see, like, oh, this is what Jesus wants for my life. And you're like, yes, but Jesus, this is what I want to do. And I want you to learn what, I, what my expectations are. And so, but that's not the way this works. And that leads to incredible immaturity in our faith. And uh, what we talked about last week, you know, 1 Corinthians 3 was that uh, immature people, you, you might just get in. Remember Paul was saying, like, you just get in. You just escape the flames, right? We're saying you get, you get a little singed booty. Like, you're just like, ooh, I just made it in. I just made it in. We don't want singed booties. We want to be fully 
in, right, with mature uh, faith. And so here are the expectations that we talked about last week. One, the followers of Jesus live in such a way that they will not be a barrier for others to know the love, grace, and truth of Jesus. This is a big one, right? Like this is like, all right, someone's coming uh, to church today and they're coming in and, and they're, maybe this is you, maybe I'm describing you, and you were nervous because you're like, man, I've, I've been hurt by church before or people can be judgmental in church and, and, and I don't know, you, you kind of feel that and you hear someone's story, right? Now, when you hear someone's story and maybe they ha- they've had a rough go at it, are we the kind of community that creates an open pathway for them or are we the kind of community that's like, hmm, only like really perfect people come here and so you're not welcome here. Right? Or they start, we start talking about like cultural stuff and they, they voted different from you. And you're like, mm, there's a really weird church that votes th- like you down the street. You should just go there. Right? Do you have that kind of heart? Right? Um, or oh, uh, you wore that today? <laughs> right? What kind of community do we want to be? Nothing like that. It's like, no, we, don't, we, we never want to have any kind of barrier for people coming to know Jesus. The second one there is people who claim Jesus as, um, as their own bring heaven and earth together, that that's what we do. When people encounter anyone who says, if you've ever, ever uttered the phrase, I'm a follower of Jesus, when people get around followers of Jesus, you know what they should be saying? Whoa, this is, this is what heaven is like. It's a pretty big expectation. And so, um, now, do, does that happen all the time? No, n- not for any of us, right? No one here is perfect. We all are miserable people sometimes. We all are annoying sometimes. But, but, but truthfully, truthfully, the expectation is like when people get near us, and in particular as a community, individually we're going to all struggle. But guess what? Even in your struggle, here's what we hope communally, and we're going to talk a lot about community today. Communally, it's like on your downtime, someone else is picking you up, Right? So, so yeah, you know, you might be off a little bit or you might be struggling, but man, you've got six other people in your community that are doing really well. And so together what ends up happening, they, we raise one another up in the midst of it. And then the last one there is the life of the church shows the way of Jesus simply wins. The life of the church um, shows that Jesus' way simply wins. Um, does anyone in here like losing? No, we shouldn't, right? You shouldn't. It's like when someone's like... Um, you, you, actually, my son Max actually said this recently. He, he said, I was playing with Ruby, our, our four-year-old, they're playing a game, and, and, and she's got a little competitive edge to her, which I really appreciate. And, um, and she said, Max beat her at this little memory game, and, and she was being a sore loser. And he said, you need to, you need to be a good loser, Ruby. And, and I actually said, and I was like, no, Max, you don't need to be a good loser, right? You need to be a good sport. If you're a good loser, if you show me a good loser, I'll just show you a loser, right? Like, that's like a reality thing. <laughs> So you, what do you do? Like you, you learn, like it's like, no, I'm going to be a good sport. If I lose at something, I don't want to like that I lost, right? I want to be like, man, why didn't I win? Or what do I appreciate about the person who's winning? What about the appreciate about the person who's a little better than me at something, right? And so we begin to see like, no, I don't want to be a good loser. I just want to be a good sport. So what we see in Jesus, it's like, man, his way wins. And here's the thing, which is like, I want, you can be on a winning team, that feels way better to know that at the end, no matter how bad things get, at the end, you win. Do you know why you win? Because Jesus wins. 
No matter how bad your life is, you win because Jesus wins. No matter how bad in the present, you think, man, things are going down the wrong path. It's like, if I just stick with it, with Jesus, you're going to win. And you're going to see it. And then collectively, as a community, when people start following Jesus, there's a place that's like, oh, this is what it feels like, the way things should be, and have a winning atmosphere. And so um, this uh, past week, I was, I was reading, because I want to I take our expectations the next step. And I was reading about the uh, church in Iran. And I don't know how, how many guys know about the church in Iran, uh, but it's the fastest growing uh, church in the world. Okay? And, um, and so what, what's happened there is just truly fascinating. Um, 1979 was actually a big pivot point uh, for the country. Um, there was a huge revolution that happened during that time. Uh, you know, it's primarily almost 100% Muslim. And uh, all the missionaries that were there were, were kicked out. It didn't matter what religion. If you weren't Muslim, you were, you were kicked out. Um, there were about, a li- they estimate somewhere around 400-ish Christians left. But they were all in hiding, all just like in secret. Um, because they knew if they got caught, uh, they would be soon be killed. And so in the midst of this revolution, something started to happen. And uh, these 400 or so uh, mis- um, Christians banded together. And they're like, if we really believe that this is real, then we need to be willing to step forward and not only live it out, but proclaim the truth of Jesus. No matter how much persecution we face, no matter how much death that we might face, and, and so they started to do this, and people started dying. But something else started happening in the midst of their deaths, that uh, people started looking at them, and they're like, man, there's just something different about you. There's something different about the way you live your life. There's something, the, the way that you, you see all of this, and, and your expectations of, of, work, of what are going to happen. You see, for them, uh, Christianity wasn't comfortable. They couldn't come and do this. They couldn't even, you know, like, cultural Christianity in America right now is you can just say you're a Christian and, and kind of just get away with it, even though you don't practice it or even actually don't like really fully believe it. You know, but you can just say it because it's like a cultural thing to do. But see, they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even like utter the words. And so they would begin to have these prayer meetings and, and everything. And, and obviously they couldn't do it 400 people together. It would be like in small little, you know, buckets of people. And in these prayer meetings, they would have these big, big prayers where they would say, like, you know, God, would you do something that's totally miraculous? And so they would start to see healings happen, and they would start to see um, um, these big visions and dreams people would start happening. So, they had this, so get this. And then you could fast forward in the 80s and the 90s, and people would start coming to these leaders of the church. And this is happening a lot. And they would say things like this. Uh, I was having a dream last night. And Jesus came to me in my dream and told me that I needed to believe in him and that he was what I've always been looking for. And I know it was true and that this vision was true. And they would hear this vision and these dreams would start happening with people all the time. That that was the way that God started working in this miraculous way through these people's lives. And then, and typically what would happen uh, um, in the beginning, it used to be like, man, if one person in the family would believe, they would get ostracized, you know, from that family. But here's what they were starting to see, that the families would start coming to believe. They would have families having dreams on the same night. They would wake up in the morning and they would gather around and they would all together saying, you will not believe what I just had a dream of. 
And God starts working in this unbelievable way. And to this day, um, the church is growing and growing. Now, they've gotten kicked out of the country a lot. There's still a little bit of an underground church. Um, but everywhere that these Iranian Christians go, if they get kicked out to Turkey, guess what happens in Turkey? People start coming to Jesus. Like crazy. They get kicked out to another country. It's like people just start coming to Jesus. They come to America, and guess what happens? They find other uh, Iranians that are here in America, and they just start believing in Jesus. And there's this powerful movement that's happening uh, within these people. Why? Because they have this incredible expectation of what God can do. It's not about just simply saying the words that I believe in Jesus and expecting like, ooh, now I'm good, I get to go to heaven. It's like, no, there's something so devoted inside of them that it's like they can't, they can't contain, they cannot be contained. And they want to give their whole life for it. And when their whole life starts happening, it's like people around them are like, I want that. I don't want a muffled Christianity. I don't want someone who just says that they believe. I don't want something that seems like it's just like a little kind of add-on to their life. I want whatever that person has that has revolutionized their life in such a way that they're unbelievably loving. They can't contain like the fact that they want to witness to who Jesus is. They want to scream aloud like crazy, like that baby is. And, like, and they want to just let it all out like they have to, Right? Is that the kind of Christian that you are? Is that the kind of follower of Jesus that you are? Listen, I'll say this. In a lot of cases, it's not your fault. Here's why. We were brought up in an atmosphere and in a framework within our churches and within this movement that made us think it was okay to be comfortable. That made us think that it was okay to just be, eh, that made us think, if you just said this, would you raise your hand today and say yes to Jesus? And, and listen, I'm not, sometimes that's very real for people, but it made you think that if you just did that, that's all you needed to do. But that's not what's expected of us. That's not how Jesus teaches. That's not what it is to live out this Christian faith. It's, it's nothing like it. It's nothing like it. So to get sold this version of Christianity that just makes you kind of feel good, it's not what we see in Scripture. It, it, it just shouldn't. As I said last week, if you're just comfortable following Jesus, you're not actually following Jesus. Like if, if Christianity just feels good to you, it's not that there isn't joy in it. It's not that there isn't happiness in it. It's not that there isn't a beauty in it. And all that, like, Listen, I, it's the best way to live your life. But man, there's also an incredible challenge because you see how much we need Jesus, how much we need the Spirit of God working in us, how much we have to learn and grow and um, continue to have God like chip away at us. And so I want to take another step in our expectations today. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And, um, and so the writer of Hebrews, if you're not familiar with your Bible, uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, okay? Uh, and so there's a lot of people who think a lot of different things about who wrote the book. We don't know uh, who wrote it. Um, but this letter that, that we have was written to a grouping of people um, to help them learn a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus and to tap into some of the, the bigger story elements that came generations before them that are so important. You see, uh, one of the reasons that here we always like to keep 
tying in the story of Jesus into the bigger story of humanity is because I don't ever want you to think that like somehow Christianity is a new thing or that this isn't, you know, that you, you are part of a story that goes back generations and generations and generations and generations. This isn't just about you. And so the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, has, has done a lot up until this point. Um, but he says this, or she, could be she. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, which could mean like a holy place, and I'll get to that in a second, through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new, and I, want, I highlighted this here, the word means fresh or cannot get old, all right? And living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I want to I pause here. I know it's in the middle of a sentence, so it feels weird, but I just want to pause here because if we skip this part, you won't understand the rest of it. So the writer here is saying like, hold on a second. Let me tell you about what you can do now as a follower of Jesus. And he doesn't want us to miss out on this. The writer's like, you can enter in to a holy place. Now he says to the sanctuary. Now, this can mean eternally, like holy place. But there's also a little bit bigger of a meaning here. He says that we have this um, Jesus who, it says this, he's a great high priest, okay? Now, you might read something like that, and you might not have much experience uh, around priests. And uh, or if you're raised Catholic, you might have, like, some little experience with it. But the idea of the priest was something, like, incredibly significant. And so the, the, the priesthood uh, was this certain genealogy of people. All right, you, you, you could not, like, if you were growing up as a young Jewish boy, you couldn't be like, you know what I want to be? I want to be a priest. And they would look at you and be like, you can't, right? You, you can't, you have to be in a certain line of people to be able to be a priest. No one else could do it. See, now, like, we live in a world that's like, when people are like, you can be whatever you want to be, right? That's not... That's not true either. Like, we just lie to our kids all the time. But like, but like, you, but like there's a reality. Like, when it comes to like being a priest, it's like you, you can only be a priest if you're in this certain line, the, the, Le, the Levitical like line. It's, it's all you could do. Outside of that, you couldn't be a priest. Now, there were some other things about priests that were pretty interesting. And so I want to highlight a few. One, they were mediators between God and people. Okay. And so there wasn't, in the beginning, there, there wasn't necessarily this di communal direct relationship between God and his people. There was tangentially, but what would end up happening was that the priest would be the mediator between God and people. And so now they did this in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, and one of the ways that they did this was they were responsible to keep things holy and sacred. And so, uh, you know, if you were here a few weeks ago, we said that when something was pure... It means to keep it, like, set apart as holy and sacred. If you make something common, you make it impure, all right? So what we said back then is, like, the reason why, you know, we don't say, oh, my God, or use the name Jesus Christ in, like, a, a, a bad way. It's, like, because when you make the name common, you're making it impure. It's, it's set apart. And we also talked about how our life, are, like, they're set apart as holy, right? So we don't want to make it common. So anyway, these priests... 
they would go into the sanctuary, and into the sanctuary, uh, the, the tabernacle, and eventually the temple. They're in the inner, inner part of it. They would have this place called the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could enter into there. No one else could. And they would come in there once a year, and they would go into this place, and they would have this Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur, which you, know, you may have seen it before. But like, they would have this day where they would like, it would be like, all right, can we take care of all the sins of the community right now? And only the high priest could do that. If anyone else got near it, guess what happened to them? They're dead. So if you came up one day and you're like, you know what? Forget that. I'm going in the holies of holy. Guess who's not coming out? You. They're dragging your dead body out of there later on. So you couldn't get, you couldn't get there. Only the high priest could go in there. If the high priest didn't enter the Holy of Holies in the right way, with the right manner, like having all the right, like cleanliness, everything, guess what happened to him? Dead. So, so, but only the high priest could go into this place. He had special access to the presence of God. One of the other things that um, the priest would do would be they would, they would keep things in order uh, throughout the community. So if things got off kilter, um, they would be like, man, we're, we're getting wild here. We're getting away from the things of God. The priests would be the ones that want to bring everyone back. Like, hey, this, you gotta, we got to get back to the ways of God. And then the other thing that the priests do, um, they would serve and sacrifice for their community. All right, so this is the priesthood. It's important for us to understand that because when you read a passage like that and you read, oh, Jesus was the high priest, it can be like, cool. But what the writer of Hebrews is like, no, 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 I want you to hear this and know this, that Jesus was the high priest. And that something significant that happens for us. You see, um, this guy named Peter, um, he wants us to know something that's, that's fascinating. Uh, he wrote another letter, and we're going to get back to this passage in a second, but I want, you, I want to highlight this something that Peter said, because it references this whole priesthood thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, look what he says. He says, but you... All right, you, the, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So it's like, so, so guess what? So turn the person next to you and say this. We royalty. That feels good, doesn't it? Right? You walked in here thinking you were just kind of a Richmonder. But you're a royalty. Royalty. It's like you're part of something that's incredibly significant. You're part of something that all of a sudden what Peter's saying here and what the writer of Hebrews is also saying, it's like you are now given access to things that are part of the kingdom of heaven that you did not have access to before. But now as a follower of Jesus and to be devoted to, you have access to these things. And that makes you royalty. Now you're in the line of all the priests, that you have access to the presence of God. It changes how we begin to see what's actually happening all around us. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. He continues on and he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together how hyper you came today, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I want to highlight just a few things. First one is this. Let us draw near. There were three significant let us statements that were, were in there. It says, let us draw near. Now this idea of letting us draw near is, is to get close to something, right? You see this phrase a lot in, in the Psalms as well, but to let us draw near is to get close. So when you're um, in a friendship or you start dating somebody or within marriage, it's like... You, you do these things to draw near to someone, right? To get closer to someone. And you have all these habitual things that you do relationally to, to draw near. And so what the writer is saying is like, we have to have that same mindset as to, what can I do to, to draw near to God? What, what do I need to do? And it, it comes in a lot of different ways. Um, gathering together lets us draw near to God. Uh, prayer lets us draw near to God. Silence. In solitude, lets us draw near to God. To sing, lets us draw near to God. To read his word, lets us draw near to God. There are so many different things. You can be in nature, right? And going on a good hike. It's like, man, it'll let, us, let us draw near to God. And the writer's saying, hey, we, we need to draw near to God. Let us do this together. This deep desire to get closer to the presence of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the presence of God, that proximity to the presence of God equals more holiness in our lives. And so if we want to really have this deep, intimate connection with God, we have to, we have to want to draw near to him. Now, does drawing near to God just happen by accident? Right? You, you don't wake up two weeks from now, and you're like, what? That's crazy. I'm super close to Jesus right now. <laughs> and have nothing, like you've done nothing to do it, right? No, it is an active, disciplined thing that you do on a regular basis to draw near, to get closer, to have this desire to be in the proximity, the presence of God. And let me ask you this. Why wouldn't you want to do that? What the Bible says is you have the freedom and the ability to be in the presence of God. Why would we not want to do that? Well, pride might be a thing, right? Selfishness might be a thing. Lack of discipline might be a thing. But if you think about it logically for just a second, that the God of all creation says, hey, there are ways that you can have an intimate, close relationship with me. It seems like we would be like, that's crazy. I need to do that. But isn't it interesting how often all of us here sometimes even refuse it? Or we get, um, we might even have some good disciplines in our life, but we do them to have good discipline, not actually to get close to God. 
Like you might sit there and be like, I'm reading my Bible in a year this year. Congrats. But if you're not doing it to actually get closer to God, guess what you just did? You just read. And so it's this heart to draw near and be close. God, let us draw near. The second thing he says is, let us hold on to our confession of hope. I love that song, King of Kings, that we just sang. I don't know if you realized it while you were singing it, but you were singing the story of Scripture. The wording of the whole entire thing is to kind of map out the, the story from beginning to end of what we see in Scripture. You are uh, in the midst of singing this song. You are confessing that this is our hope, the King of Kings. Like this is our, I'm singing it. So that's why uh, you might have let that song just go by without even processing that. That's why when we sing together, I always want us to like pause as we're singing if we're not like fully engrossed in the lyrics because you can miss what you're actually saying. Um, we're going to talk a lot about worship uh, next week. Um, but like there's that moment like we're singing this song and I'm just like, this story is crazy. Like this is wild that we're singing this song of the King of Kings, like praise the Father, yet yes. It's like we're, we're able to sing that because this story is nuts, y'all. Like, Jesus did this. And it's like, no matter what's going on around us, what Paul is saying, or Paul, what Hebrews is saying, whatever Hebrews is saying is, let us, like, hold on to the confession of hope that we have. This confession of the hope that we have in Jesus. I was in a funeral this week. And as I was um, officiating the, the funeral, I'm always struck whenever I do a funeral, and it always makes me emotional, actually. Um, and I didn't even know the person who passed away. I just knew um, his son. And I, and I get emotional at every funeral because in that moment, you, to me, it's like I feel the weight of life and death. I feel the weight of the fragility of life, um, how fast things go. I, I feel the um, sorrow in the room. And there's also a piece where I have like an eternal sorrow for people in the room that have no hope. And I remember standing up there and, and uh, it's a rough story of what happened to this person. But I remember looking out into this room and And the son had told me that like most of the people in the room had zero faith. And there's probably 150 or so people in the room. And his guess was that maybe 10 to 20% of people would have a faith in Jesus, maybe. I remember standing there and thinking to myself, man, what these folks see right now is death but they actually don't have hope of what is next. And I felt this like deep emotional sorrow. Like I got like super choked up like as I was talking because I was like, I'm staring at a bunch of people. I'm, I'm like, well, you actually don't have an answer to this. 
You don't have a hope that you can confess. And what I shared, I was like, and I was trying to just, I was like, God, as I was praying before, I was like, God, just if, if, if this is just a little seed, let it be a little seed. But I, I said, for everyone in this room, your life could change in one phone call. One. And where is your hope? You see, we, we begin to see that, like what the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, no, you, no matter what's happening, we have this, this hope that we have in Jesus, and we cannot ever become so dismissive to that hope or so just comfortable with the hope of Jesus. Because when you become devoted to it, it drives you in such a way that, man, when the world starts crumbling around you and there are elements that it is crumbling, but it's like, we have this hope in Jesus that goes beyond all of it. So you don't buy into fear. Why? Because you have a hope. You have a hope in Jesus. And the last thing he says is, let us consider one another. Do you notice he doesn't say, let me. He says, let us. Let us. So guess what? This whole thing, like we should always be saying, this is not about me. But what it is, is it's, it's, it's about you. So like if I were sitting next to someone and I would probably turn them, it's like, it, what's church about? I'd be like, one, it's about Jesus. But guess what? It's not about me. It's about you though. And that person, you know what they would do? I was like, what do you think church is about? And they'd be like, it's about Jesus first, but, but it's about you. And I'd be like, it's about, oh wow, that's how this works. So if I'm saying it's about you and you're pointing back to me, no, it's about you. Guess who gets taken care of? Everybody does. But when we make it about me, who gets taken care of? No one, essentially. Because your pride and selfishness means you're actually not going to be taken care of. And so the writer here is like, no, no, let us not neglect being together. Let us encourage one another. He, he says to consider, which is have this kind of curiosity, this careful investigation of one another, to provoke one another, to challenge one another. Our communities need to be set up for challenge. The reason for that is because we are wrong. <laughs> you, you just have to admit that. We have to be set up to be, to, to be challenged, to have the, the humility to be challenged. Because guess what? You are wrong sometimes. I am wrong sometimes. And so we need to have space to say and challenge one another. Guess what? You can't challenge one another if you aren't in community with one another. I love that online stuff is an option. I really do. Because sometimes people travel, um, you know, even a holiday weekend, people are watching online probably more than normal. And um, it's really cool that that's an option. And it's a viable option to stay connected in a lot of ways. Um, during COVID, obviously, it was wonderful. Um, it does not replace this, though. It's hard to one another online. It just is. You know why? Because you are designed for, like, human embodiment and interaction. And so there's a beauty to online. And so some of you need it. Like some people are watching online right now. Like they, they might be sick. They might just need it for like a season. I get it. I get all that stuff. 
But in order for us to challenge one another, in order to look someone else dead in the eyes and say, hey, what you're doing in your life right now is not okay. And that person maybe sometime down the road looks back at you and is like, hey, how you're thinking about this right now is not okay. It's not, it's not Christ-like. We've got to have the ability to do this together. And so is this Sunday morning, is this the be-all, end-all? Is this the thing? No. But it matters. Like the large, the small, the medium, the really small, like all that stuff is wonderful. It's all a collection of how this works. And it's not just about gathering together in all different sizes. It's about going out and living it out, that that's what the church becomes and has that kind of impact. Um, I want to leave you with a couple of quotes because I just love these. Not that one, this one. <laughs> this is from the second century. So a pretty long time ago. He says this, Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly because this is the first day on which God have wrought a change in the darkness and matter made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. So today walking in, I'm trying to always give us thoughts of walking in, right? First week I was like, hey, we need like a fear of the Lord walking in. Second week we're like, hey, we, we don't want to make anything common Right? This is a holy and sacred thing. Last week was like, think about the expectations. Right? Today I want us, to, it's like, when we walk in, it's like, Jesus rose from the dead. And we're gathering with a bunch of Jesus who rose from the dead people. Right? That think of that. Now some of y'all might not be there yet. I get it. But we're gathering with other people who think Jesus rose from the dead. Should that not be cause for celebration? Not be cause for um, appreciation? I get it. You, you might be going through a rough stage right now and, and your hope is in the resurrection, but you're in the midst of what you feel like is death. I get that. But man, Jesus rose from the dead and we're walking into a place where you're going to turn to most people in this room and, and you say, do you think Jesus rose from the dead? And they look at you and they're like, mm-hmm. Like, do you think Jesus rose from the dead? Mm-hmm. We should be high-fiving and being, let's go, right? There's something significant about this. Um, another old guy, Ignatius of Antioch, said this around the same time. After the observance of the Sabbath, meaning we should have this rhythm of rest and Sabbath in our life because that's what the early church did too. To let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and chief of all days on which our life both sprang up again and the victory over death was obtained in Christ. So when we assembly, when we gather, it's like, that's what this is. You know, I'm growing up, my, um, there were times where I, I would get mad at it, but like, as a kid, my mom would be like, hey, you can't go play in that because you got to go to church. You can show up late to the game, but you got to go to church. You're going to miss that game because it's actually during church. And as a, like, 10-year-old, sometimes 12-year-old, uh, I wouldn't say that I was like, yes. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> dear mom. 
But you know what was instilled in me was to value the assembly of people, to value the reality of what it means to gather, to value that, you know what, this gets placed when it's in its proper, listen, I get it, we're all going to miss stuff. Like, I'm not saying you have to have perfect attendance, but like, it, it's like when it's placed in its proper priority and we instill in our children that this is important, guess what? When they get off the rails for 10 years, like this person did, there was something still holding on to me that was like, yeah, but when I was ready, I came back and aggressively so. And so it matters. It matters that um, we learn that what this means and expectations of what it means to love and love well. And we love one another. Well, I mean, get this. Like, like if, if this, like the reason why I'm, I always had the chairs tilted because I want you to be able to see like across the room too, like when people are singing. And I'm, but it's like when you're looking across the room, it's like you guys over here, as you look at those people over here, it's like you love them. You, got, you love them. And if someone else in this, in this room is like, hey, we need help, it's like you get involved because you love them. Like, that's what it means to, like, to be, like, considering one another. Let us do this. And it's like, if you don't love them, we're doing this wrong. And, and I want to end with this passage. Bandy, you can come back up. I want to end with this. Because if we don't love well, I just want you to see what this other writer in the Bible says about love. I was going to have you guys tense up because you're about to get hit, but... Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know who. Just say it. Because God is love. So when we say let us draw near, it's like we want to have the right, we want to understand the expectations that God has for us. When we say, I want to get closer, I want to get in the proximity of the presence of God. When we say, man, I want to consider the hope I have, I want to be, encourage one another, like, not neglect being together. It's, this is serious stuff. It matters. I also understand the history of the church is not necessarily a great one. Christians have inflicted a lot of pain. You might have been the brunt of some of the pain Christians have inflicted at times. And so that pains my heart and it grieves my heart because I wholeheartedly believe in what Scripture teaches about how we're supposed to love one another and what kind of community this is supposed to be and the depth of love that should be present in a gathering of believers. We should be challenged by that to let us draw near. Let us like hold on to the hope that we have. Let's see you bow your heads here for a second. We're going to sing one more song.
And this song's going to talk about being closer. I'm going to pray after the song, but I just want to give you a moment to just pause and reflect. Maybe it's a time of confession. Maybe it's just trying to know what God's speaking to my heart right now. you're about to sing are pretty powerful and the desire of our hearts should be what these words actually articulate so will you stand and sing